Hey everyone, I'm going to introduce Allison in just a moment, but first, just a heads up that the next session of my online seminar is starting in July, and I wanted to give Experiencing Data listeners a special offer. Uh, the seminar is called Designing Human-Centered Data Products, and it's intended to help leaders in analytics, BI, data science, and technical product management figure out exactly what your customers need from data early how to create more useful, usable solutions for them, whether it's custom software, a dashboard, a machine learning model, or some other data product, and how to prototype and test these solutions early with your actual customers so that your data outputs turn into actual business outcomes. I teach the seminar, and together with other participants on live video calls and in Slack, I'll be sharing a set of practical curated skills that you can begin applying immediately during the seminar to your real work. As a thank you for supporting my podcast, until July 2nd, you can get $300 off an individual registration by using the coupon code EXPERIENCING at checkout. Space is limited and the next session starts soon. If you're tired of customers not understanding, using, or valuing the data products you create, my seminar will help. It's going to be fun and I hope you'll join us. And now, let's get to my interview with Allison. You're now Experiencing Data with Brian O'Neill. Experiencing Data explores how product managers, analytics leaders, data scientists, and executives are looking at design and user experience as a way to make their custom enterprise data products and analytics applications more useful, usable, and valuable. And now, here's your host, the founder and principal of Designing for Analytics, Brian O'Neill. Welcome back, everybody, to Experiencing Data. This is Brian O'Neill. I'm very happy to have Allison Weil on the call today. Allison and I met pretty recently. Uh, somehow, I, f I forget how, but her Medium post came across my radar, and I was like, whoa, this is so on the money for so many of the things we talk about uh, on Experiencing Data, about creating human-centered data products. This is also very timely uh, because this is we're going to be talking about law enforcement and specifically uh, policing uh, and how we use data uh, to help with police officers and training and interventions. And she's going to be telling her founder's story about how she created a product in this space or was working on a product in this space and why she had a, what she called a failure. I think it was a, a real there's a lot of takeaways and learning here and. Uh, so, Allison, welcome to the show. You're a senior associate at Hyde Park Venture Partners, uh, but previously you had a stint as a founder. So tell my audience uh, about this story that you wrote on Medium. Give them an overview of what we're going to talk about. Sure thing. Um, and Brian, thanks for thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to have this conversation. So uh, before I was uh, an investor, um, I worked as a founder while I was in business school, and I was working with some researchers at the University of Chicago um, to commercialize research they were doing to identify police officers at risk of misconduct or just kind of any other issue, um, whether it was alcoholism or risk of suicide or, or complaints of any sort. And the, the summary of it is that, you know, I was not able to commercialize it for any number of reasons. Um, you know, and as I go over in the blog post, the first is just um, you know, product market fit. The, there was a lot of data, but you didn't really need machine learning or any sort of advanced statistics to solve the problem. Um, the second is really problem market fit. The, the folks at the police departments that we were working with, um, you know, were said they were well-intentioned and said that they wanted to talk 
um, through and fix the problem. But when it came to actually their actions, it kind of didn't seem like that in that they, they weren't really willing to make the choices that they needed to make um, based off of what the data said and based off of what they knew already. And then the third piece was, frankly, founder market fit. You know, I don't come from a policing background, neither, neither, did, neither did any of my co-founders. And that made it really difficult to relate to uh, different officers and, and relate to departments. Um, and so the combination of all of those things, uh, you know, really didn't set me up for, for a whole lot of business success uh, in that way. Yeah. It, the other thing I wanted to say about this, just for folks, I, I really think people should go out and read this article because, and, and I'll definitely have this in the show notes. Uh, I really applaud your willingness to go write this article. You, you've, you use the word failure in it and you're willing to talk about what didn't work. And I particularly, what I really took away from this was that the data here and, and the quote, correct analytics was not the problem here. <laughs> That's it. There, this is about behavior change. Uh, it, we're talking about policing today. Uh, this is a, a, a sensitive subject here, uh, but it, it goes to show that we can't just focus on the technology piece. And as you you know, you talked about it, not every problem needs machine learning necessarily. It doesn't that that had nothing to do with it, whether it was Tableau or whatever it was going to be that that sounded like the data was what was more than accurate here. The behavior change piece is is a very different thing. So what was the big learning you had to, to tell me about this behavior change light that maybe came on, like the realization of what you were facing, like, oh my gosh, we have the products nailed, but it's not going to, it's never going to stick. Like that must've been a, an experience. I don't know to feel yeah, that. I mean, I think, you know, you really nailed it. Um, I think at the end of the day, if you, if you take a step back, we're talking about it in terms of policing, but you see it in healthcare, you see it, you know, really in any, any sort of area where there's experts and there's people who are kind of working in everything every day. Um, it's unlikely if you just kind of ask them what their gut reaction is, that their gut reaction is going to be wrong or different than what the data says. Um, and so you'll take a, you know, you can take a, a whole lot of data and do a bunch of analysis. But what I saw was like, the data didn't show anything that the police department didn't know already. Um, it amplified some of what they knew. But it wasn't about the data. It wasn't like, oh, there's this brand new insight that you know, your advanced statistics showed us that we didn't know already. So that light went on of like, okay, well, you know this already, you know what the data is going to show um, before we even give it to you because you live and work this problem every single day. But if you know it already, then then why aren't you doing anything about it? And why are you coming to us to, to solve it in a really complex data-driven way um, when really what you need to do is just kind of change change your behavior? Um, and it was really, you know, frustrating for me as a founder, sure, because I was, you know, putting all this energy into trying to build a software and, and trying to build a company, but also just frustrating for me as like a, a person and a citizen who who fundamentally wanted to solve a problem or help help a community solve a problem and, and realize that, gosh, the, the people at the center of it just just aren't ready for it to be solved. Yeah. So can you unpack this thing? Someone lets you guys into the station. Someone let you guys sit down and show chiefs of police or something like there's a disconnect here. And I want you to talk about how you got in front of these people, because someone thought you were going to pro either they were just entertaining you and saying, well, we had some people in that had the software and it didn't help. You know, I don't think that's probably what it was. Right. Someone thought they were going to get something out of your th thing or maybe they I don't know what like was it a surprise to them or 
there's, there's tell me about that. Something doesn't add up there. Yeah, absolutely. So, so they, um, we were working, you know, I worked across two different, uh, major urban police departments. I'd rather, um, for their privacy and the privacy of a bunch of other folks rather not reveal exactly who they are, but trust mm-hmm. me that it was two large urban police departments. Mm-hmm. And we were working directly with like the technology innovation staff there mm. and working at the chief of police level and in, in presenting them with this information and, and working with them. Um, it, did, it did have that level of visibility. And they invited us in because they actually didn't have a way of getting this information easily. So as I explained in the blog post, if you think about like the data that would go into predicting whether a police department has issues with certain officers, you would have often HR records, um, you would have complaint records, you would have arrest records, and then you might have like information about the areas that they patrol and, and crime levels and, and demographics and, and what other, other information you would, you would need to, to figure out kind of what's actually going on um, with how the officer is working. And they didn't have all of that, and they had all of that information, but they didn't have all of that information in one place. And they didn't have all of that information in an easy to use, easy to see summarized format. They may have had some kind of rudimentary early intervention system that only used like one or two of those pieces of data. But they genuinely thought that if they could get all of this information in one place and use advanced analytics, partly because it was just like the thing that everybody was talking about. And gosh, if you're in technology and innovation, then you should be using machine learning. Wait, is the they is sorry, I got I got to interrupt you. Is the they here the innovation group or is the they the chiefs of police saying we don't have a single pane of glass to, to look at this info? Um, uh, both. Um, it was really both. Um, the, it was the core motivation was we want to be able to quickly see which officers we want to worry about. Neither the innovation team nor the chief of police had that easily accessible. And then the innovation team thought that working with us would solve that problem. And working with us using machine learning would solve that problem for their chief of police that was asking uh, for something like that. But, you know, what we learned, you know, what I said is like, so getting all that data in one place is the first part of any analytics problem. But the second part of any analytics problem is just kind of taking a summary look at that data, just normalizing it, looking at averages, looking at running like basic Excel regressions or whatnot, like nothing fancy to give you a better sense of what direction you could go in. And if we had just stopped after that second step and then put a dashboard on top of it, it probably would have gotten them 95% of, of anywhere that they needed to be. Interesting. So did, did the question, did you guys ever pose the question to them about like, okay, so you want the single pane of glass and you want to know like, you know, which officers we may, may need to have an intervention with or to, to send a training or something. So what are you going to do with this? Okay, so the answer is here are the top five by worst offenses or whatever. And it's John, Sally, Jane, Roger, and Victor. What are you going to do now? Yeah. Um, (laughs) So we asked them that a few different times in a few different ways. And for them, it really depended. And they hadn't actually gotten that far. Uh They knew they wanted to do something about it, but they they were very worried, and rightfully so, about matching the intervention to the issue. Right. Because we wanted to find it's important to think about this. 
we wanted to find not just officers um, that we have been reading about and seeing on the news that have unlawfully used force against civilians. That wasn't their only concern. They also wanted to find officers who their fellow officers thought were alcoholics because they have complaints that are internal as well. Or they wanted to find officers where they were maybe needed some mental health support. And so the interventions for, for different kinds of officers needed to look different depending on kind of what the need was or, or where the shortcoming was. You know, an officer that has been using force on a regular basis might be, you know, suspension or firing or or retraining or, or whatever it is they chose to do. An officer that they thought might be an alcoholic, you know, it was rehab or, or something else. It, it just looked very different. And so did you measure that this wasn't going to be viable because they decided not to buy this product or through the process of of actually prototyping and showing them, maybe showing them their own data? At what point did you realize like, whoa, they're this is not going to be used as decision support information. It's just not going to. Did they verbalize that? Did you just wait for a purchase that never came? Like, when did you know? So it happened over a, long, a period of time. It wasn't just like a, an instant thing. Right. I would say there were, there were a few decision points. The first was, was frankly the expense, right? I, I sought to build a machine learning solution mm-hmm. is extremely expensive. You need to, you know, get all of the data in one place. You need to hire data scientists and software developers. You need to customize the models to fit each of the departments because by the way, they like every department defines complaints differently. Every department defines use of force differently. Every department has different policies like and so you needed to build the models to like customize off of that along with a bunch of other stuff. And they each use different systems to to record their information. Mm -hmm. And so to build that system is very expensive. And I don't know if you've heard, but government as a whole does not like spending a whole lot of money on innovative technology on a regular basis. And so the first thing I realized was there was like a mismatch between the price point and the cost it would take to develop the solution against their willingness to pay for a solution, right? Like they probably weren't willing to pay, even even with how much the lawsuits are, They like asking them for say a million dollars a year was probably a pretty high price point, but that probably would have been what we wanted to charge given how expensive it was to, to develop it and customize it for each department. So that was kind of the, the first part of the problem where I realized that this wasn't going to be something that would work for them, uh, at least the approach that we were taking at the time. The second part was, um, you know, roughly around the story that I tell in the blog post about Batman, where we were working with one of the, these departments, and we came back with a list of officers that we had identified as, as high risk. And one of them was an officer that the department internally referred to as Batman because he genuinely thought he was Batman and and acted like he was Batman, um, which is not exactly uh, might might be what you want in a comic book character or in a film, but is not what you want in a police officer patrolling on the street. And the officer was employed. Um, he was still working for the department. They knew he was a problem. They knew he was Batman. And like when you come at them and say, hey, here is, a, you know, one of your most problematic officers 
what are you going to do about it? And then they say, oh, well, you know, we already knew he was a problem. Uh, yeah, he's he's still employed. Like, that that demoralized me in a, in a pretty major way where I was like, okay, well, like, great. Like, what what's the decision that we're going to help you make here, if, if that's the case? Yeah, so talk a little bit about who Batman was. And, and if you could also share, one of the things I th- I think, correct me if I'm wrong here. My cousin's a police officer, solid guy. The the thing that I thought I, I read in your article is from at least the, the departments that you looked at, this is a case of a, there's a few bad apples that are pretty bad. And there's a lot of people that don't have complaint, a lot of officers that don't have any complaints against them. Is that a pattern that you, you were seeing? Hopefully you were seeing? Yeah, I mean, that's the pattern we saw across the board, right? Mm-hmm. Most officers, easily more than 50%, um, don't get any complaints about against them. Um, you know, a lot of those officers are, you know, might be central office or might be working in quote unquote easier areas. But but a lot of officers in difficult areas still don't get a single complaint against them, and that's that's really really common. And a few officers get many 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 complaints against them. And the best way to predict if an officer is going to have a future problem is if they've had a problem in the past, right? If an officer has had a previous complaint from the public about use of force, then it is highly, highly likely that they are going to have a problem with use of force again. If they've previously gone on a chase that they weren't supposed to go on, they are very likely to go on a chase again. If one of their colleagues has previously noticed an issue with alcohol use, then they are very likely to have a second colleague that noticed an issue with with alcohol use. And none of that's surprising. And and that's, you know, a pattern that you see a lot across all sorts of people, you know, people's behavior. People don't don't really change that much. And so, yeah, I, I would say that that pattern is is very true. And often what we were seeing was that these issues were manifesting in the early years in someone's career, right? It was it was relatively unusual what we were seeing in the data was somebody's first complaint was coming through in their 10th year of service, right? It wasn't that they were a great officer for 10 years and then, you know, gosh, all of a sudden they are starting to rack up a bunch of use of force complaints, you know, in the next few years. It's often that it's early in their career that they start these patterns and then you just don't do anything about it and they keep going. Whereas if that intervention happens early in their career, um, then you can do something about it. And that's the that pattern that we saw in the data. Got it. And that, that, that pattern you said you saw across more than one station. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, we saw, you know, we were looking at thousands of officers. And so, so we saw that, you know, throughout the data set we were looking at. So this, this Batman character, I, I found that really interesting. Uh, was there a frank moment where Batman appeared on the screen and there was a conversation with the chief or something about these characters and where the light went on where you knew they simply weren't going to do anything about this character? And did you see that repeat at other departments? Yeah. So when I heard about Batman, it was actually with a, in a conversation, a phone call, I remember, with, with our main contact. Um, at the department, which wasn't the chief, which was somebody in the, the technology innovation office. Mm-hmm. And she was not like, she didn't know about Batman. She worked in technology and innovation. She didn't have a sense of who the officers were. So she was actually repeating a conversation to me that she had had when she brought the list to their senior leadership that actually knew 
you know, the officers on patrol better than we did. And so it sounded, frankly, like she was as confused and as uh, worried as we were, where she was, she didn't know that this officer was on the force prior to us bringing it to her, but it also wasn't her job to, you know, tell the 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 chief of police or the head of patrol what what to do with the officer right um she was only there to to bring the list to to them and so you know we had a conversation i don't remember again this was a few years ago um i don't quite remember what she said about what they were going to do but this was not like i don't believe this was like a brand new officer i believe this was an officer that had been around a little while and the way i def- definitely remember her repeating the conversation of really it just being like yeah i asked them and the person who responded was just like oh yeah that's batman like as if it was just an everyday thing to talk about as if it was just a is just a you know not a like n- not a problem at all um or or funny mm mm-hmm. And in, in your data, you know, we're we're all thinking about the killing of George Floyd right now, which is really just one major incident that that represents a, a real systemic problem here. I'm wondering was was there a race component to the data that was here? And I, and I'm curious, like, were you dealing with minority chiefs of police as well during any uh, any of these interactions, or was it primarily white? Uh, like, tell me about the race component with this whole story. No, that's that's a valid question. So we were very careful about use of race data in our in our analysis. I don't remember. Um, and apologies again; it's been a few years since I looked sure. at this data set, and so okay. you know, I'm going into detail. I don't remember there being actually a substantial race component to mm-hmm. the data set that we are looking at. But and and but I'm not sure. The other question around the chiefs of police. Yes, one of the chiefs of police that we were working with was a person of color. Mm-hmm. I believe he was black. But but I don't believe that the leadership of the department and the, the race of the leadership of the department um, made made a difference there whatsoever mm-hmm. as far as their, their commitment to any of this. Mm-hmm. You know, we were working with departments that, again, they were forward thinking, they wanted to be innovative, and they were working with us because they said that they wanted to do the right thing. And I keep again, using the that those words pretty definitively of said they wanted to do the right thing, to emphasize the difference between that and actually doing the right thing. But I believe we were just very, very careful about the use of race data, we wanted for a variety of reasons at the earliest stages where we were working with the department to to not necessarily include that information got it got it i wonder you know i i I wonder i've been thinking a lot about diversity and including just even the guests of my show and when i even think about what you just said it makes me wonder like would would a person of color or a black person working on that team have felt the same way about whether or not race data should have been part of the product or the like the the way it was presented or not presented where does it fit into the the bigger picture these are questions I start to ask more I, lately. Uh, I don't know about you. Yeah, no. So I, I think that it should be included and it undoubtedly should be included. I believe that our, our clients, again, at the stage, I think if we had moved forward further, I think if we had really gone into full commercialization and, and brought this forward as a product, I would have insisted that be part of the, the metrics because it should be. But it's not... Because I, I think what the way to answer the question, a better way to answer the question is, if I'm remembering correctly, 
we did have race data, but race was not the primary predictor or reason for it. It may have been a factor, but it was not that, like, it, it was not that there were racist cops wandering around, like, using force only against people of particular races. It was that there were officers who were much more likely to use force than other officers. Mm -hmm. And those officers were disproportionately impacting people of color, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, I understand. And I'm not, I'm not advocating for it either. I I don't know. I think it just warrants the question uh, for all of us as we work on some of these types of tools is having the period to reflect on these questions. And, you know, I think diversity, especially now as we move into artificial intelligence and machine learning, where we've seen the, you know, the famous incidents of where race uh, has an impact on, you know, facial recognition software, or whatever it may be. This diversity thing is, is, it should have been more important than it has been. And now it's, I, I think the technology is really helping surface some of these problems. So absolutely. You know, I, I agree with you and I've seen it, you know, I saw it there and I saw it in, you know, this, the other startup that I worked for, which also used a lot of person level analytics mm-hmm. where, you know, there are major blind spots in data and, and, and frankly, like algorithms right now um, are frankly open source, like the best machine learning, the, the best, analysis is is open source and the core differentiator is the data that you have and how do you use that data that you have which means that you always have to have an examination of what that data is of what its biases are um, and how do you make sure that it's giving you a comprehensive and accurate look at the world that you're trying to analyze and so removing race in any way from that data set means that you're going to get an incomplete answer to many, many, many different questions. Um, Or assuming race in that data set means you're going to get an incomplete answer to many, many questions. Or, you know, just not thinking about it at all and not thinking that race makes a difference. You know, you talked about facial recognition. That's a prime example where when you don't think about race in the data set that you're working at, you get results that are just wildly inaccurate. And so that's that's very, very true as you think about, you know, how do you apply the algorithms to the data sets you have? It's it's most important to take a look at the, at what is the data set that you are actually working with. Yeah. And part of it, too, is that part of the diversity thing, too, is is asking the questions you don't know to ask. And that's part of what you get out of having a diverse team is that they're just going to surface questions that no one else is asking about. And then you can have the discussion about what to do about it. But I, I think that's a that's a really important uh, element of all this. Very, very, very much so. I have a couple other questions. First of all, you literally did what I call a ride along. It's a research technique, a user experience research technique. We sometimes uh, deploy in the field where we go and shadow someone doing their job. And sometimes I call them ride alongs, whether you're in a vehicle. You were actually in a vehicle doing research. Tell me about your ride along. And, and I love this behavior. I love seeing it happen. And it doesn't happen enough in the in the data science and analytics community. As far as I can tell, uh, tell me about that. Oh, man. Um, you know, honestly, it was I, I went on two, and they were honestly the probably the most valuable part of designing the system that, that I had because it contextualized everything for me in a way that was really important. One, I was riding along with patrol officers. So I was riding along with like who was in my people who were in my data set 
and people who would be using and impacting impacted by the analysis that we were doing. And then two, just contextualize the data. Like what is actually, if I'm looking at a bunch of stop data and arrest data and officer data, what are stops like? What is a good stop versus a bad stop? You know, there, there's a, there's an anecdote from this that I don't didn't include in the blog post that I think is actually pretty relevant. So I was I was riding along um, with one of the officers, um, and we go to a call at a house, and a number of other officers are there, probably like three or four officers, and it's a weird call to a family that the department already knew, and basically a visitor at the house had called the police to help him with a couple of residents of the house. Um, but it, there was no crime being committed. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no crime that was committed. But the interaction got a little tense, right? The person who called, the cops were like, we can't do anything here. There is no crime. There is nothing going on. And, and I completely agreed with them. But because the uh, they weren't doing anything, the person who called them was pretty unhappy about that. And he was under the influence of some sort of substance. Mm-hmm. And got up, started yelling a little bit, was was clearly vocally unhappy, threatened to file a complaint. I think he got actually called up the department while we were there to do that. And the officers responded not super calmly. They kind of tensed up. They started yelling a little bit back. They were not, they weren't de-escalating is what I would say. They weren't escalating and they certainly didn't use force or anything like that. But it was also the sort of interaction where you were like, just, just walk away. Just like this, this isn't getting you anywhere. This is going nowhere. This guy is going to be unhappy with you and he's kind of drunk and there's nothing you can do at this scene. And you're kind of yelling back at him. And this isn't like a use of force. It's, I don't know if he actually ended up filing a complaint. And frankly, what he wanted to file a complaint about was not that they were yelling at him, but was that they weren't arrest, like they weren't intervening in a situation that they shouldn't be intervening in. Like they were doing the right thing. Right. And he wanted to complain about that. Yeah. And like, how does that show up in the data? Right. Like, and, and how should that show up in the data? Yeah. Because you have a situation where the officers are actually like, from an arrest perspective, definitely doing the right thing. From a complaint perspective, may get a complaint filed against them, but they're getting that complaint filed against them for a reason that is not actually why I, as an outside observer, think that they should have a complaint filed against them. Mm-hmm. Did that change the the way you approached the uh, any of the product design choices when you kind of saw that? So it made me think a lot more about, it made me spend a lot more time thinking about how the complaints were filed in the first place. Mm-hmm and the process for filing complaints. And this goes back to what I was saying before about like kind of what your data is. I leave it as a footnote in the article that like the way complaints are filed department to department is really, really different. And so that results in complaints looking really, really different from department to department and counts looking different. The how many are actually reviewed and sustained. um, And that looks really, really different department to department. I spent a lot more time thinking about like what, actually is the data we're looking at. And and that is what made it actually even more expensive and difficult to design a system to handle this. Because if a complaint in, you know, Chicago and a complaint in New York look like they might both be 
you know, filed with the same complaint code, but they're actually very, very different actions. And they went through very, very different processes to get there. And they went through very, very different processes after they, that complaint was filed, then they're not the same complaint. And so I definitely spent more time thinking about like how you should handle, you know, two complaints that might look the same on the surface, but are actually quite, quite different from each other. Yeah. I think this is so telling, right? So there's a lot more information that's not necessarily captured in the data set you have. And by doing, going through the exercise that you did, you can start to inform how might we change the presentation or the experience or whatever it may be about using our product based on knowing this. And this may be something where the people that the police officers themselves or the chief of police, they may not have thought about it this way themselves because they don't have that outside perspective. It's just like, oh, damn, I got another complaint filed against me. I'm screwed and there's nothing I can do about it. And maybe, you know, a product person or date, you could say, well, you know what? We have this information. We can actually separate these into two categories like you know, whatever it may be, and then split that out so that we're making better decisions here. We're not just treating them all as apples. So I think that's it's really great that that you're doing this behavior and, and we're, we're seeing it in action. So thank, thank you for sharing that. <laughs> yeah, very much. I think I think another kind of to reemphasize that point, because um, I actually think it's really important. You know, in some in some places, when a when a citizen files a complaint, the department goes and reviews it. And let's say I'm making up the numbers here, but like more than 50% of those complaints are sustained and are permanently on the officer's record. But in other places, you know, a citizen will file a complaint and the review process is such where like 5% of complaints are sustained and on the record. And like the citizen on average isn't any different, but the department process is. And so if two different departments are saying, well, I only want to look at sustained complaints, you know, what, what does that do to your data as well? And are, are you actually effectively measuring how the citizens view the police departments? Or are you just kind of measuring the process by which complaints are sustained? Right, right. What would you do today? Like, okay, I got fired from my job. I'm no longer at this venture capital company. Is there a time to like bring this product back? And like, what would you do differently if you were like get, getting the band back together again? Is there an opportunity to do that? And what would you change or how would you approach it now? Great question. Um, so actually, and this this is the other part that I didn't put in the blog post. So actually, a lot of the technology has been picked up by another team. Uh -huh. um, so there is a modified version of this product in the market. Mm -hmm. Again, I, I don't have the consent of the company to talk about it. Um, so I don't want to name the company that's doing that's it. Um, but the leader of that company is somebody with a lot deeper content knowledge coming from a policing background and a, mm -hmm. a police executive background than I have. Mm -hmm. um, and I met with them a couple years after I stopped doing this, somewhat coincidentally, actually. And at that point in time, they had come to a lot of the same conclusions that I had around everything we've been talking about. Um, so I know that they're doing quite well. And I know that they, I believe that they've made some product changes, or at least that was the direction that, that it seemed like they were going in, um, to make product changes to, to one, make sure that they're measuring actually the right thing in a way that's simple and presented really well to, uh, to the departments in a way that they need it to be. And because they come from that world more than I ever did, are able to have those conversations um, more frankly 
and and work with the departments and the unions more effectively than I was able to. Got it. Got it. Allison, this has been really great. Thank, thank you for writing this article and, and being so open about your your experience here. I just kind of final question. Do you have any advice for I, what I call data product managers and, and heads of product, heads of data science and analytics that have some kind of product productization responsibility, value responsibility with data? What, what would you what are your takeaways? And this can go beyond just this one incident, right? You're, you're obviously seeing a lot of projects and, and ideas float into your your office and across your desk. So what would your closing advice be for, for them? Yeah, um, I think it kind of comes down to, to a few different things. You know, the first, like what we were talking about is think about what the process was to collect the data that you're working with and where there might be holes in that process that are reflected in your data. The second is figure out what your customer actually needs. Yeah, it might be fancy analytics, but like fundamentally solve the problem that the customer has rather than solve the problem that you want to be solving because you can get lost a lot that way. And then the third, you know, it's something that all product managers who are better than than I do every day, which is just straight up like listen to your customer, ask them what they care about and make sure that that you're addressing their needs um, in a way that that makes sense to them. Um and, you know, any any data product person, any product person should be doing that. But mm-hmm. on the data side, it's definitely think about where does the data, uh, how does the data get to you and what's the process it, it takes to get there. Got it. Got it. Good tips. Good advice. Um, Allison, where can people follow follow your work? Is there social media or I, obviously you're on Medium. I'm going to put that up there. But, but yeah, you- absolutely. Um, so I'm my Twitter is at in a little while, W-E-I-L. For, for some punny there. And nice. then um, you can find me on LinkedIn. And those are probably the two best places as well as well as Medium. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much again for coming on the show and telling us your story. This has been great. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Brian. Really appreciate yeah. it. Cool. Take care. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Experiencing Data with Brian O'Neill. If you did enjoy it, please consider sharing it with the hashtag Experiencing Data. To get future podcast updates or to subscribe to Brian's mailing list, where he shares his insights on designing valuable enterprise data products and applications, visit designingforanalytics.com slash podcast.